as the little video sting was playing, my son walked past me and he said, your talk better be as good as that. Um, so what we're going to be looking at tonight is the story of the feeding of the 5,000. Now, before we read it, um, just to say this is a, a story that appear, occurs in each of the accounts of Jesus' life. It's one of the few that's in all four. Um, and so it's interesting that why John, who wrote this particular account of Jesus' life, included this story, and that's something we're going to explore in a bit. So let's read it. This is the passage. Let's just read this through. Some time after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. He is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? I'm not sure if the child had actually offered to give. <laughs> Whether just Simon, Andrew had just gone, right, we'll have that. Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, unnecessary detail, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had, had, when they had, had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had been eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So we have this bizarre story where Jesus provides all this food for all these people. And one of the things we have to understand in John's Gospel, and if you haven't heard it, Pete did a really good little introduction to it. It's available on our YouTube channel, um, explaining about the fact that each of these miracles Jesus performs is a sign. So in other words, it's not about the thing Jesus did. It's about what that then points us to. So in some ways, every miracle that you read is an invitation. And what I think Jesus is doing by performing these miracles in John's Gospel is he's inviting us to come and find out more. More about who God is and more about who he is. And not get caught up in the actual thing itself. Because one of the great themes of John's gospel is this idea of come and see. Come and find out more. Come and investigate. Come and discover. And one of the things I think that we need to, we need to understand is this works on two levels. On one level, there's come and see and find out who Jesus is. But there's also come and see how amazing our God is. Come and see how amazing this creation he has made is. And for that reason, I think it's possible, depending on how you see life, to think of it as there are actually miracles all around us all of the time. That when you think that a field of barley wheat stretching into the distance could start from one grain. Now, if that isn't a miracle, I don't know what is. That ultimately, when we see Jesus feeding 5,000 people, what we see is an acceleration of a process that actually occurs naturally all of the time, all around the world. So take the fish. Two fish to enough fish to feed 5,000 people. Well, give it enough time and two fish 
becomes more fish and more fish and more fish until there are enough fish to feed however many people you want to feed. And that process is going on all of the time in this beautiful world that we live in. So the question you have to ask yourself is, are we in fact constantly surrounded by incredible things? Do we have eyes to see the miracles of what God is doing all around us? Does anyone know where that picture is of? Sneed Park Nature Reserve here in Bristol. You can go and see it for yourself. I took that picture. It is that beautiful. And so there's this thing that actually, as we explore nature, we are surrounded all the time by incredible things, by, mir- by things, by any measure we should be seeing and just thinking, this is incredible that all this is happening all around us all of the time. There are quite literally miracles everywhere. C.S. Lewis puts it like this. He says, each miracle that Jesus performs writes for us in small letters something that God has already written or will write in letters almost too large to be noticed across the whole canvas of nature. So in turning two fish into enough fish to feed 5,000 people, it should remind us of the fact that that's happening all the time in nature around us. It's a miracle that somehow, because it's written across the canvas of creation, it's too big for us to notice. We don't even see it anymore. We take it for granted. That actually these miracles aren't huge events. They're almost like little microscopic examples of what God does all of the time. And they should wake us up to the miracle of this life. Albert Einstein put it like this. There are only two ways to live your life. One is as though nothing is a miracle. The other is as though everything is a miracle. And I think that's a choice each one of us faces each day. Do I approach life with cynicism or wonder? Am I constantly trying to deconstruct, to pull down, to drag down, to blow up, to unbox, unpack, nitpick, disassemble? Or actually sometimes, can I just take a step back from the thing and say, isn't that amazing? That's just fantastic. Because that's going to determine your approach to your life and your approach to this wonderful creation that we live in. Because cynicism effectively leaves you as a bag of flesh and bone on a rock hurtling through space, six miles every second, in the vast expanse of an empty space. Cynicism, that's where you end up. You deconstruct, you deconstruct, you deconstruct. You remove wonder, and what you're left with is a big, empty galaxy and a lack of purpose. Whereas I think wonder, miracles, the things that God is trying to point us to and remind us of, gives us a life filled with purpose, a life filled with life in all its fullness, as Jesus says. That cynicism leads to emptiness. Wonder leads to fullness. And I think that's a choice each of us can make. And one of the things I'd really encourage you to do is, if you've not done that, if you've not kind of explored some of these ideas further, then there are lots of ways in which you can do that. You can talk to me or to others after the service. We run alpha courses where there's an opportunity to explore this idea of wonder, this idea of the possibility of faith leading to a life of purpose and meaning. But having said that, it still is pretty cool. He did feed 5,000 people in an instant. And as this says, one does not simply feed 5,000 people. It's not that straightforward. But that is exactly what Jesus does. 
So how do the people at the time respond to that? And how do we respond to this invitation, this question of what does this mean? What's this telling us? And actually, what's actually on offer here? Is Jesus just producing food for the sake of feeding some hungry people? Or is he actually trying to say there's something bigger on offer here? There's something else going on. There's something below the surface that we need to explore. And I think for the people of the time, all they saw was free food. Marvelous, free food. Or some of them saw, this is a bit nuts. Miracles, they're cool. Let's go and see some more. And so the people of the time were caught, confronted by this action, but choosing to look at exactly what is just in front of them. The bread in their hand, the fish in their hand, or the guy in front of them that did something incredible. So they're left with this desire to see more of the food or more of the miracles, more of the cool stuff. Or perhaps for some of them who maybe have been reading their scriptures and had some idea of some of the promises God had made, that ultimately this guy doing this stuff might be someone important. And in fact, what if he is the one that they were looking forward to seeing? The one who was going to come and rescue them from the Romans. So what they thought was, okay, this guy does miraculous stuff. He must be incredibly powerful. He's come from God. He's going to help us kick the Romans out of the country. But that fundamentally misses the point. As Jesus points out, he doesn't want to be made king by them in that moment. So he refuses to let them do it. But the people of the time were then faced with this really sticky problem of if he isn't this promised military leader, if he isn't just a miracle maker, if he isn't just a prophet, if he isn't just someone who's going to feed us, then who is he and what does that mean for us? Because the thing is, signs matter. But what they point to matters more. That is a very close-up picture of my wedding ring. So my wedding ring is just a lump of gold. So I can either see it as a pretty piece of jewellery, or I can see it as a sign that points to something that matters more. The problem with the miracle Jesus performs with all these people is for them, they just see the sign. They just see the food. They just see the miracle. What they don't see is what it all points to. Because what it's pointing to matters more. So in John's Gospel, what we have is seven signs and seven long teaching bits. For some reason, John does not link any of the signs to the teaching bits except for this one. This is the only one where Jesus does something and then Jesus explains why he did it. And he has this long really, really confusing discussion with the people where he's saying, I am the bread of life, which understandably the people of the time kind of heard and went, does that mean we have to eat him? What's he talking about? I don't understand what he's talking about. So Jesus says this, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. So the manna in the wilderness is when Israel was wandering around in the desert for 40 years. God provided food for them. God gave them this manna, this bread from heaven. But of course, they still died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. Quite confusing language, lots of symbolism, lots of hidden meaning in it. 
But I guess the point Jesus is making is, first and foremost, why do you always want miracles? Because miracles run out. I gave you some bread and some fish. Tomorrow, you'll be hungry. I raised Lazarus from the dead. He's still going to die in old age. That healing you've got, you're still going to experience pain and illness in life. Miracles are temporary. Miracles run out. So Jesus is saying to them, why do you always want miracles? Because ultimately they don't last. Don't you want something that will last forever? And he goes on to point out that the point of the miracles is not the what, what happened. It's the who. The miracles are a massive screaming neon sign saying this person that's done this is the son of God, is someone important, is someone you should put your faith in, is someone you should follow. Stop getting hung up on the bread and the fish and see who is behind it. Because Jesus is offering them eternal life, which ultimately is the one miracle that doesn't run out. It's the one thing that lasts for eternity. So Jesus is saying to them, why are you all clamoring for these miracles that don't last, but I'm here to offer you something that will last forever? If you trust me, if you put your faith and your trust in me, you can have eternal life as a gift from me to you. And he gives us another sign. He gives us the cross. And the cross is the story of how Jesus was killed And he rose again to life as a promise to each one of us that if we put our trust in him, he will do that miracle for us. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead will raise us. So the cross is a reminder to each and every one of us. It's a sign pointing to the son of God, pointing to Jesus and saying, you can have that great miracle that you can be raised from death to life, that you can know what it is to have life eternal, the miracle that lasts forever. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the cross. I thank you for that sign that points to that wondrous truth that, Lord, we do not need to fear death, that because of Jesus we can experience life and life in its fullness, but also we can experience life eternal, that the promise that Jesus gives them is that he is the bread of life that gives life for eternity. And I just pray, Father, for each one of us here, help us to get hold of that, Lord. Help us to understand that and help us to kind of approach this story and other stories about Jesus with a sense of wonder rather than cynicism. Help us to live life with a sense of wonder rather than cynicism. Help us to see you at work all around us, all of the time in this amazing creation you've given us. But most of all, to remember your son who makes it possible for us to be with you in eternity. Amen.